Hello and welcome to the final episode of IVFU Season 2. I'm so happy you're here with us to get some free therapy from our expert in residence, Savannah Sandfield. Savannah was my personal therapist when I was in the throes of IVF, and she met with us in Season 1 to answer questions I had about identity, triggers, loss, and acceptance. And now she's here to answer your questions. You've been submitting them all season, and she's prepped and ready. So grab a seat on her couch and let's begin. I'm in love with you. you. So hi, Savannah. Hi, Sam. <laughs> it's so wonderful to have you back here for season two of um, IVFU. <laughs> so honored to be here. You're not only professionally familiar with many of these questions, but you're personally familiar with many of these questions, which certainly makes our conversation richer because we know you're coming from a very empathetic place as well as a professional place. So so I just want to dive right in. We've really just had some incredible questions and I've sort of categorized them for us because I am a Virgo and I'd like to be organized. (laughs) So I'm going to start with emotions. I know that's just like the most general, they get more specific after this, but the, but the sort of overall bucket is this idea of emotions. And, um, the first one I wanted to hit is, um, something maybe all of us have felt that have struggled with infertility, how to not let your feelings of resentment become all encompassing. Yeah. So this is my lifelong work, right? How to work (laughs) with big feelings and emotions. And there are lots of different ways, right? Sometimes we need to be really aware of what kind of thoughts we're thinking, what we're telling ourselves. We want to make sure we're being kind and in our terms of our inner dialogue and saying helpful, productive things to our inner selves, right? And then on this other side of working with big feelings is a more mindful approach, I think, Mm -hmm. to working with emotions, which is when you go through the process of acknowledging and allowing what's coming up for you, as opposed to resisting it. So you acknowledge what's happening, you recognize the feelings and you actually allow them, you give yourself some space. So this would also be great if you could talk to someone, but let's imagine that you can and that you're just getting through your day you reserve some time to let your feelings happen and you bring a mind of inquiry and acceptance and curiosity at what's happening inside. Mm. And you allow there to be some form of nurturing as you pay attention to yourself and listen to what's coming up. That's really interesting. It's it's really hand in hand with being kind to yourself. You're you're being kind to yourself. You're not judging yourself for feeling resentment because I think that's what comes exactly on the heels of resentment. I see my coworker is pregnant. I'm asked to pitch in for the shower gift. This is probably mm. something many of us have been through mm-hmm. and I am boiling with mm. resentment and anger and jealousy and then fueling that flame is this self-criticism because I should just be happy for this woman. Why do I resent her? You know, what's wrong with me? And so if I'm kind to myself, I take away the criticism and I just just let the resentment boil for a little while. I don't know if that's the conclusion I'm supposed to be coming to right now, but is that something? Well, no, I think that I like how you, how you told that story. Yeah, exactly. So first step is we notice that we're feeling angry about the fact that we have to contribute and we don't get mad at ourselves for that. We don't 
we get that's the first layer of our thinking. That's the the, the stinking thinking mm-hmm. part, <laughs> right? You know, what's your stinking thinking here? Oh, you're thinking that you are supposed to be X, Y, and Z, but no, you just accept that. Yeah, this is hard. This is difficult. It totally makes sense. I am not going to blame myself and get mad at myself for feeling or thinking that this is unfair and that I'm angry and yeah. And that I don't want to be in this situation. That's totally understandable. And that's a kinder way of saying like, God, why can't you just be happy for her? Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. You sort of, you create a space for yourself to feel those emotions, those, that resentment. Well, step one is the cognition. So step one is you just, you notice what you're thinking Mm -hmm. and you put it through a filter. Is it kind? Are you saying something kind to yourself? Are you saying something helpful? Are you saying something true? You know, is it even true that you're such a bitch? Maybe you're mm-hmm. saying, God, I'm such a bitch because I won't, you know, show up for this baby shower or something. But it's like, are, is that really a bitch? Are you a bitch? Or are you just like really struggling right now? Mm-hmm. Is this incredibly hard for you? That's a kinder way to speak inside. And it makes a difference. How you talk to yourself inside, that difference between, oh, just shut up and get over it is very different than, of course, this is hard. You're not always going to be in this situation, but right now, this is awful. Of course, you don't want to show up for this baby shower. Of course, you don't want to give 20 bucks for that stupid (laughs) toy. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. It's it's funny because it's, in a way, it feels so, so such a small thing, but it's huge what you're saying because we do, we beat ourselves. It's the same thing with the pain Olympics, like that idea where you say to yourself, mm. get over yourself or you're being selfish. That comes up over and over again in our conversations. I'm being selfish because I don't want to use an egg donor. I'm being selfish because I'm upset about me when my friend is going through X, Y, or Z and, you know, Right. You know, right. This woman's it's, having a baby shower, being selfish so that I don't want to pitch in for the crib or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's really a good way to also think about this is how would you talk to your best friend? Mm. Would you say, shut up and get over it? God, I didn't hear any of this. <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Because we're always nicer to other people than we are to ourselves, aren't right. we? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the second step is working with the emotions. Once you've kind of made sure that the, now you're just sad, you know what I mean? Now you're just like in grief. You're not doing some head trip with yourself and calling yourself names, but now you're just feeling the grief. Like it's happening. It's, you know, we can't snap our fingers and make it, make yourself feel different than you're feeling. And then that's a process that, um, is what I'm talking about here with the, uh, you know, you acknowledge what's happening. You allow it just for this moment. You're not in resistance. You're accepting it. And just for right now, just for right now, I'm going to be curious about where they are in my body, what it actually feels like on a physical level, and then see if you can bring in something kind, something nurturing for yourself. This is really um, broken down so well by Tara Brock. Mm, okay. So I don't know if you've ever heard about her. No. She's, she's a mindfulness instructor and psychologist, and she has a fantastic podcast. Um, she has a few books. Radical Compassion is, is the one that I'm sort of referencing right here. She uses this acronym called RAIN, where we recognize the feelings, we allow the feelings to be here, we inquire into them, we bring curiosity, and then we nurture ourselves. And that might be like, read a book or reach out to a wise friend, you know, bring in some beautiful 
supportive element into your life, some wisdom, you know, this would be great if you have like a spiritual practice at this point to bring in some kind of a higher power or a kind friend, something nurturing at this point. Could nurturing be something as simple as like watching your favorite friends episode or does it need to be specific to your moment? Okay. No, no. Just like, and be kind, like, no, totally. And let's go. It's like bringing your little baby along. Like, yeah. And now I've acknowledged the feelings and now, yeah, let's just go curl up in bed and watch TV. That's great. Yeah. Let's just self-care, do something, something sweet, cupcakes, whatever it is. Wine. Does wine? Well, if you're doing, you know, depends (laughs) what what stage of like what you're doing here. If you're right, if we're at adoption, go for it. Yeah, right. Right. That's true. Wine and caffeine. (laughs) That's true. Enjoy. Right, right, right. We're not encouraging anyone to get wasted here. I'm just saying sometimes a nice glass of port and a good episode of Friends carries you to the next moment. That's all. (laughs) You like my bad interpretations of your advice. (laughs) You'll give the healthy ones and I'll give the unhealthy ones ones. Um, but that's really wonderful. And I, I've never thought about that idea of, of curiosity, of inquisition and curiosity. That's interesting to me. You know, that's really kind of sometimes when you pull something apart, it's not as scary anymore. It's not as awful anymore. And, and like you're saying, if you can localize it, like I'm feeling this in my gut, I'm feeling this in my neck, I'm feeling this, you know, we kind of can physicalize it. And then, and then we almost know better what to do with it or, you know, how to handle how to nurture it, it. Yeah. how to nurture it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. That's wonderful. Um, for our next question, how do you love yourself when you blame yourself or your body for failing? Yeah. I mean, I think this actually might connect some kind of an early childhood wound, basically, that Mm. wants to be tended to here when we start to get caught up with, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not like everyone else. Maybe, maybe this is someone who experienced a lot of rejection in high school. And then they're like all caught up about how, like, I'm not normal. I'm not normal. Why do I have to be the weirdo again? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a lot constellating itself around this particular issue, but there's all kinds of curveballs that we get thrown in life. And that's why these moments are so interesting to me, because there's really an opportunity at this point to clean up your business, like clean up the energy, psychological energy that has been weighing you down that you might not have even been consciously aware of. Mm, And it came out now. So now you can address it and figure it out. And you can heal it and you can let it go and you can have a perspective shift and you can have more of yourself available to you. Oh, yeah. That's, you that's know what a I really mean? cool thing to think about. That's exactly. really interesting. Okay, well, here's the question that is so key, especially this time of year. Someone would like to know, what are some coping strategies to make it through the holidays? They're saying Halloween, which is all about kids, Christmas, baby showers, of course. Um, any of these moments when you don't have the family that you desire, but we are in these very heightened family occasions, you know, what can people do to sort of cope with these things and protect themselves? So hard, such a hard thing. Um, yeah. And so this is really specific to whoever you are, right? And Mm -hmm. we all, there really isn't one prescription here, but the most important piece is something that we really have to learn in life, which is how to advocate for ourselves. Mm -hmm. You need to learn how to take care of yourself. 
and, and advocate. So for me, and maybe this kind of reveals too much about myself, but I wanted to do very grown up holiday parties with like fancy, ideally childless gay men where we could talk about theory and whatever, <laughs> fantastic, you know, and then have brunches followed by like long naps and like watching, you know, things that would just make parents with young children, just like, you know, green with jealousy. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> That's what I needed <laughs> to do. I wanted holiday things to be about sexy grown-up stuff. Sequence. And yeah, I didn't want to get into to the child stuff. But you know what? I think that some people, they find it nurturing to be with their nieces and nephews and maybe their cousins that have children and stuff. And they don't want to be excluded. And so they want to participate. And some of them, you know, really emotionally sophisticated work would be to be there, be present and be connected and, and let people know how you're struggling on, on some level, but then share the part of you that is happy to be participating. But I was not there. You know, that was not me. I, I couldn't have done that level of sophistication. But see, I think by saying sophistication, you're judging yourself. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah no, so I'm going right. to remove the judgy because what I yeah. think too is I think some people, I'll, I'll put me in that category. They want to be, just like you said, they want to be included. They want to be invited. They want to be at the party. They don't want to miss the party. But going to that party is very painful. And I think sometimes we actually maybe have to be strict with ourselves. And, you know, it's like if you eat chocolate cake, you might gain two pounds. Well, is it worth it? Are you okay gaining two pounds? Okay, eat the chocolate cake. If you could dress up in fantastic clothing and have a champagne brunch with your incredibly fantastic child-free friends, and you would have a great time being part of that family in that moment, <laughs> or would you be happier being with your biological family and your nieces and nephews and, you know, around your entire family with children swarming and all of that? And maybe the painful part of that does not weigh out over the joy you might get from that. Or maybe you want to think ahead of what that hangover is usually like and go for the champagne brunch this time. And, you know, maybe people can be a little stricter with themselves or also acknowledge the joy that they get from the event, even when it also brings them pain. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, said. because I, I actually think it's quite sophisticated to say, you know what? This hurts over here with the kids. I'm going to do this other amazing thing for myself and, you know, get my hair done and buy a new pair of shoes and put on my favorite cocktail dress. And I'm going to hang out with my super swanky gay friends that don't have kids or straight friends that don't have kids or by myself. I'm going to do a spa day. <laughs> you know, maybe there's just some ways there's different ways of approaching it. Um, and I, yeah. I think where a lot of the pain comes from, too, is this cultural overdose of the holidays. You know, if we could get through Christmas and Halloween and really the only kid piece of it is we see our family. Okay, that's one battle. But when everywhere you turn, it's commercials and window dressings and carols chiming in and all you needed was a pair of socks and suddenly you're lost in this Christmas child maze at Macy's or whatever. I think that part of it is is is. It's like it's more superficial, but it's also more unavoidable. It's it's less controllable. And to the, mm -hmm. me, that's also really hard thing about yeah. the holidays. That's right. I mean, I think it's the quality of the relationships, too. It's like mm -hmm. if being with your sister and your niece and you guys have this great relationship and she can make space for you and 
and that is a nurturing dynamic, then, then great, go for it. And that's what I guess what I mean by the sophistication. It has to do with the whole dynamic that you're entering into. But if there's any layer of toxicity or challenge there, you know, this is not the season that you do it anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. suck it up, right? This is the year that you really think carefully about how you take care of yourself and and really just try to make those calls, like you're saying, and, and, and just represent yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good way to say it. Um, All right. So our next section is called family and friends. This is sort of relating to the holiday theme. Um, And this question says, and we, I think almost all of us have been through this. My family seems to want to be supportive as we navigate infertility, but they keep saying all the wrong things. What do I do? I'm so tired of getting that advice that I don't need or being told to just relax or just adopt. We've all heard those before. What could be some resources I can give my family and also friends, of course, to help them be better at supporting me? Yeah, great question. So on the Resolve website, they have this great list of everything that they that you can just print out and just give to your family and say, here it is. Take oh, a look. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh, yeah. great. Okay. So that's yeah. resolve.org. We talk about them almost every episode. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic organization. Love them. Yeah. Just, you got to do it. You got to say, here's what I want. Here's what I don't want. You've just got to do this. I don't want to hear this. I do want to hear this. Mm. I don't want you to ask me how it's going. I want to tell you when I decide to tell you. If I don't say anything, don't ask anything. You know, but some people are different. Some people want you to ask. Some people want you to be like checking in and seeing how you're doing. Not everyone's the same, but on the resolve list, it's like the basics are there. Yeah, don't tell me to relax. Don't tell me this was meant to be. Don't tell me, you know, to adopt or don't tell me about the story where they just relaxed and then they got pregnant. But you know what? I think the problem too is like, here's an example from my life. Um, we were in the throes of all of the infertility. I think it was embryo number eight that was being transferred. And there was a big family gathering. It was a funeral, unfortunately. And I was feeling very comfortable being more upfront with them and more open with them. And so we were all, we literally were having a pajama party. I'm not going to lie. We all got matching pajamas because it's Aww. I'm in that family. <laughs> and um, so we're all in our pink pajamas and we're having like a girl's pajama party. And they said, how's it going? What's the latest? Da, 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 da. And, you know, and in that moment, it was this very safe space of like, we're here grieving together and we love each other and whatever. And so I updated them on absolutely everything. And we're about to transfer the eighth embryo and oh, we're, we hope it goes well. And we love you, whatever. And then some time goes by, the transfer failed, no pregnancy. And the next time they brought it up was not in a moment like that. So now Mm. we were in more of like a normal family moment. Mm. But because I'd opened myself earlier, I sort of felt like I set myself a trap, you know, because once you open you, it's hard to close it again. And so that's another problem with this idea of family support is sometimes you need it. And sometimes you don't, you know, sometimes you don't want it, but they don't know. Really so helpful. So exactly. So this is something that could be useful for people to hear that. I know you want to be helpful. I know you care about me. So here's what would be helpful for me is if you just wait until I reach out to you with information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. And and I know we do get people listening here who have not had infertility issues, but are those relatives and loved ones of the people going through it. And they do want to know, what do I do? What do I do? So I would say to them, 
go to resolve.org and you can find this list. I think what we'll try to do is link directly to it from the show notes for today. So, and it'll be at ivfupodcast.com. So um, that's a wonderful, Resolve in general is a wonderful resource, but this list sounds pretty incredible. Um, okay, we're going to move to our third category, which is marriage. Because infertility doesn't affect marriage at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is basically about being on the same page with your partner. Uh, my partner and I are getting ready to go through our first IVF and we're at odds when it comes to what to do with any extra embryos we may have. We've been on the same page to this point. How can we come to an agreement on a hypothetical outcome? And I added to this, this can also be in terms of when to stop fertility treatments, if it's gone on for a long time, when to move on to adoption, are both people ready to embrace adoption? All There's a lot of decisions you have to make as you go through this process. You know, how can we nurture and protect our marriage and our relationship um, as we go through this? Yeah, I think the key piece is to engender empathy in the partner for the other person. Mm, interesting. It's all about trying to engender empathy so that we can really understand where our partner is coming from and then have compassion. And then once we're really in their shoes and really can see their perspective, that's when, you know, a shift and a mind change and a perspective can happen. It really can't happen any other way. So let's make up an example. Let's say a couple's experiencing male infertility and the other partner wants a donor, but the first partner isn't ready for that because that's sort of the line in the sand that, you know, their sperm is not cutting it and they're, they're now being replaced. All of those potential feelings could be coming up for that person. But the first partner wants to keep going because they really want a baby. And they're like, let's do this. Let's do this. We got to move forward. This is the answer. Da, 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 da. So I could see how both partners could find that empathy for the other person, but still coming to a conclusion when you both feel completely differently, or if one partner is like, let's move on to adoption. And the other partner says, no, I want to keep trying. I want to do one more round. It's important to me that I get to be pregnant. It could be hard, I think, to kind of keep the resentment out of that conversation, even though you might understand how that person feels, but you still really want what you want, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. And, and the only antidote we really have to resentment is compassion. Mm -hmm. So I know it gets, it's, it's hard, but yeah, that really, because it's the only way, I mean, it's really your only other, it's just the only thing you've got is to really validate where this person is at, really make sure they're heard, really make sure we get exactly what this moment is about in their early childhood wounding, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the possibility of having a little movement there. That's the only mm -hmm. way. Yeah. It's kind of this like ironic thing where you have to stop pushing in order for there to be movement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think also if we think about the fact that it's based in love, you know, you love this person, you hopefully you guys really love each other. And so that's what you want to protect. And, and this is one of the ways to protect that and to honor that too. So, but it's yeah. hard. I know marriage is work. It's definitely, yeah, it, is. it really is work. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so we're going to move to third-party reproduction 
How does someone mentally and emotionally process not being able to have your own biological child and moving on to donor eggs or sperm? This might also apply to adoption, honestly, but yeah, yeah, what are some steps people can take to kind of, you know, you hit that moment, that line in the sand, how do you survive? Right. Yeah. And hopefully thrive, right? Yes, exactly. Um, I think it's helpful to identify the motivation that you have for wanting to have the family in this, in the typical way, or, you know, whatever fantasy you had or have about becoming a parent, having a family. It's really important in this moment to get super honest about what that really is about for you. That's so interesting that that idea of identifying why it matters so much to use your own biological material. For me, it was my dad because I loved my dad so much. And he, I mean, I like my mom too. (laughs) I love my mom too. But, um, you know, my dad had passed away and, and I very identified with him. And so having a baby of my own was this idea of carrying that line forward. Right. So somehow that narrative kind of connected you to him. Yeah. Because that's what you were hoping for, right? You were hoping that somehow this would bring you closer to your dad. Right. Going into this next stage of life would make you closer to him. And you had this preconception that like, if, if, if there was some genetic connection, that would make us closer. That would, right. That would cement the connection. But in fact, No. Right. Right. And so much of it is the way I parent, which is probably, you know, very influenced by the way he parented. So even if your egg is not being brought forth or your sperm is not being brought forth, you are bringing your family forth and you're bringing what they gave you to the child. So that's the connection right there. And as someone who's now on the other side of it, what I'm getting out of it, out of that third-party reproduction and out of the fact that we went ahead without trying my eggs forever is a child. Yeah. <laughs> and right. I'm a, I'm a, I get to be a parent and I get to have a child, which is really the end goal of this whole process. We lose sight of that. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about surrogacy for a second. Um, we have a specific story here from a listener, but I think there's a universality to it. And I'm going to sort of paraphrase what they sent me. This woman's brother and sister-in-law have been in the throes of infertility and IVF. And she already had two kids of her own, this, the woman who wrote me. And she said, you know, I wanted to help. So I reached out to be a surrogate. It didn't turn out to be the thing that could help them. So she didn't wind up being a surrogate for them. But once this idea of surrogacy had been planted in her mind, she knew she needed to help people. So she's now a surrogate for another family and she's pregnant. And she's now dealing with this guilt because her sister-in-law is still struggling. And now she feels like she's waving her pregnant belly in her Mm sister-in-law's face. And also for the third time, because again, she's had two children already. So, so her main question was, you know, how can she be supportive of of her sister-in-law while giving her sister-in-law space (laughs) to, to feel this way? And also how can she sort of live with this guilt. And I think this can carry forth in a lot of situations, you know, not just surrogacy, but when our sibling can't get pregnant and we can, and, you know, how can people on that side of it process that and still be supportive and also not be buried under guilt and feeling sheepish all the time? Yeah. So this is a really great question. I 
love her. I can tell she's a really kind person. And because, and if I was, you know, with her, I would ask her a lot of questions and I would be much more delicate about this, but I am going to just be direct Mm -hmm. and share my assumption here, which is that she is struggling with codependency. Oh, interesting. Do you know much about codependency? So what's so funny, I was literally going to interrupt you because we've all said the word codependent 152 times. And yet (laughs) I realize I don't fully have an understanding of what that actually is. Yeah. And especially in context. Right. So it's when you focus too much on other people and neglect yourself in the process. Mm -hmm. So I think in this case, my advice to this woman would be the three C's of codependency, which are, you know, she didn't cause the infertility. Mm. She can't cure their infertility Mm. and she can't control their infertility. Mm. She can Mm -hmm. offer to help. She can say, what can I do? How can I help? And that's about it, you know, and then she needs to kind of trust that they're on their own journey their situation. And then it sounds like she needs to focus on herself, right? She's got mm-hmm. a lot going on. She's got two little kids. She's pregnant with, and hopefully her motivations for surrogacy, in my opinion, are not just altruistic. I mean, that would be wonderful, but she has, hopefully there's going to be some other benefit for her and her family here. Mm-hmm. That Financial, would be, you mean? Yeah, yeah that yeah. would be good. That would <laughs> right. be good. I would want her to be receiving. So when we have a situation in which someone is feeling a lot of guilt, they're kind of overwhelmed with guilt. Mm-hmm. The possibility is that it's really about control. It's like you feel overly responsible. You feel so guilty that people are suffering. And right. I, I'm dealing with this all the time in my practice with people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because of course we want people to be helpful and kind and, and, and do the right thing. We need that. It's, you know, so critical to our society and people really have a lot of struggle with codependent behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so once she's reached this point where she is carrying the baby, the best thing I think she can do is to focus on herself and focus on successfully carrying the baby and doing a great job as a surrogate and parenting her children and just being available for her sister-in-law if she's needed emotionally. Yeah. Being very clear about, Hey, trying to solve it. Yeah. No, no. Well, I want to move to adoption. This is an interesting question, which can mostly apply to FOST adopt. And I might be one of the reasons a lot of people are scared of FOST adopt these children, this person that that sent the question in, the children actually came from pretty bad abuse. And so as they are growing up and these parents want to honor their origin story and they want to keep the idea of their adoption normal and, you know, help them feel very complete as children, how do they talk about that story? How do they or do they talk about the abuse that their children originally were brought out of? Do they pretend it didn't happen? Do they make up a new narrative? Do they ignore it? What's the healthiest thing for them to do in that situation? Right. And so I would definitely encourage them to speak to someone specifically in that area. And then I guess I'll just touch on it a little bit from my point of view, which is that Mm -hmm. it's not so much about the normal. It's about the secrets in terms of why we want to have open adoption and open Mm -hmm. You know, we want to keep these stories open in terms of all the reproductive journeys that we've gone on. 
it's because we don't want them to have a sudden discovery of some big, what I thought, oh my God, you know, this whole, you know, we're, we're getting a whole 360 and that's the shock, right. Of, of a reveal. We don't want the big reveal, right. Mm -hmm. We want to have it all sort of like peppered in, in this developmentally appropriate way all along, starting in the very beginning so that it's never a surprise and there's never some big secret mm -hmm. that is revealed. So I help people come up with a kind of story or a way to talk about the situation with little kids. And in this case, I would, I would really want to bring compassion into it. Mm -hmm. I would want to make it about how sometimes people, when they're really, really hurt, they do mean things, you know, they feel so small and then they make themselves really, really big and they don't realize that they're hurting people. They don't mm -hmm. even realize that. And then I would focus on myself, the parents, like we wanted someone so bad. We missed you. We were looking everywhere for you. Where were you? <gasps> you were with these people that weren't, that they didn't know how to take care of you at all, but we know how to take care of you. We know how, do you know how, do you know? How? Yes, I know how. Yay. We can take care of you. Like this mm -hmm. kind of thing. So mm -hmm. we're telling the story in a, almost like a fairy tale in a way, yeah, but it's real. Yeah. 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 Playful and yeah. Sort of light touches. And then as the children get older, let's say they're 12 now. So they really are able well, to you've, absorb. You've peppered it in all the yeah. way through. But yes, I would definitely, I would, I know. I mean, I, I think I'm just going to jump ahead. And your question is, do we actually tell them like the bad, bad news that we, what we know? And I believe that we would want to. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that we'd want to share as much as we know, maybe not at 12, but they're not going to really ask until they're ready, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you're, and if it's been sort of peppered in, you know, there's a hint there. I, I gave a big hint in, in what, in that story that I just told, they got that, you know, they've, they know what all the mythology, when they watch the Disney movies and they see mm -hmm. the, these symbols, you know, they know what these are about. They, they're aware that there's horror and, and danger in the world. They are aware of that. And so they'll, they'll steer clear. They won't ask, you know, until maybe they get a little older, if we're not keeping it secret, you know, if that, that's the thing, it's like the secrets are very powerful. Mm -hmm. So that's why you want to kind of do this dance where you, there isn't a big secret, but it's like, there is a hint. And then down the road, I do think, because I work with trauma and I, I think that having some information can be really helpful to help process it, especially because it's not like the child doesn't know, the body knows. Mm -hmm. So it can really be helpful for people. And so does that make sense? Like it, yeah, absolutely. I, I wouldn't I, want to hold back ultimately if we're thinking about an adult child, you know, right. like no secrets. Mm -hmm. It also probably would change depending on the ultimate outcome for the birth parents. Are they still around? Are they roaming around? Absolutely. Are they in jail? Are they, you know, what's happened for them? Did they rehabilitate all those things too? So yeah, it's, it's a hard one to answer in a general sense, but, but I think that's a wonderful beginning um, yeah. for, for that path. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to ask a question about living child free after infertility. How could someone cope with the possibility that you might not be able to have a baby? Um, and the second piece of that is once you have processed it and accepted it and embraced it, how do you deal with everyone else who will not accept it and mm -hmm. thinks that they're helping by constantly questioning your decision or urging you to try adoption instead, or sort of how do you shut it down? <laughs> right. Shut it down now. <laughs> yeah. 
really great question and such a viable option. (laughs) The key is that you figure out a way to make your life generative, you know, Mm. because it's like we're so used to this script of like what you do is you generate offspring Mm -hmm. and that's how you are productive, right? At this stage of life, but you really don't have to, you really don't. You can be generative in so many ways. Mm-hmm. and be needed in so many ways. You are so needed. You are, you know, so essential. So as long as you don't fall into stagnation, I think that psychologically, this is a very, very good option. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? I wonder yeah. too, one thing that that was plaguing me a lot was it was almost like I was watching the movie of my life. There kept being that scene where there was a child And then suddenly it was the same room, but no child in the big empty hole where the child's supposed to be. And I would walk around the apartment sometimes and just really focus on that emptiness and focus on that missing piece and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of obsess Mm -hmm. over it. But that's all in my mind. There wasn't really anything missing there. We had a full life. We really did. And I wonder if people can try to shift their thinking to where they're not seeing that missing child all the time because there isn't anything missing. It's, it is just like you said, you're still you. That picture is still very complete. That's not to say people don't truly feel incomplete. I'm not denying that, but I think if we redefine what complete means, or we can redefine just what you said, being generative, and you're still honoring yourself by doing all of that work, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think when you when you talk about yourself moving through those, looking at those pictures in the movie and yeah. that we're talk that you're talking about identity and constructing an identity that matches who you feel you really are, right? And so it it's a crisis, you know, it's a painful moment and it's possible to move through it, you know. Mm-hmm. And in a long life, we're we're all gonna have these different crises that hit at different moments. And this is one, right? And so, you know, it's important to grieve. It's important to allow space. Yeah. And you find that peace on the other side. And then second part of this question is though, once you find that peace and everyone else doesn't want you to find peace there, they keep coming back and saying, well, did you try this? Did you try that? What about this? And oh, you could do it. Is there a, a strategy for that? And maybe also something we should say to all of those people right now. Is there any kind of, you know, universal truth for them? Yeah. (laughs) I like to polish those up. Do you ever regret having your children? (laughs) But um, I think it's, so I think it's appropriate to say, wow, that's a really personal question. Mm. Sort of land it there. That'll shut them down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this will lead perfectly into our final listener question, actually, which I've titled Parenting After Infertility. So this is for people who struggled forever and it worked and they did have kids. And the question is, how do you address feelings of guilt at being unhappy with your kids or family once you've created them after a long journey? Well, I think that we should give a trigger warning at this point because you've got all these people that are not where you are. So I would definitely turn it off and go take care of yourself now. So the guilt, right? Guilt is another red flag for me, right? Mm -hmm. That we're dealing with something else because it's like you have some expectation that this was supposed to be some Hallmark card or something, or, Mm -hmm. you know, what is this about that you're giving yourself such a hard time? This is so hard. This is awful. 
having young children is like, it's like a crisis, you know, it's literally when we're studying this in school, it's like along with divorce and a death in the family and, wow, and, uh, you know, losing a job is living in a household with children under five or six or something. Now, I wonder though, this applies whether you've had infertility struggles or not, right? Well, this also, is- well, the other thing is, is that when you've had infertility, you're, you have a much higher rate of postpartum depression and anxiety. Really? Yeah. It goes way up. Wow. I, I don't know the know exact that. numbers, but yeah. See, these are the things that I wish people talked about. I didn't yeah. I thought I was a demon for having postpartum after Aww. Darwin was born because the world told me the minute you see that child, your oh, skies no. will open up and that, you know, your heart will warm. And so, I mean, I didn't Aww. write this question, but that is something that can come well, up sometimes. I'm so glad we're talking <clears throat> about it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll it's... send you the bill. I mean, you sent me, you sent me the bill. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I got it back. <laughs> but I think that that, I mean, I, I understand. I appreciate the trigger warning. I think that was very smart, but if people are still listening and they are still experiencing infertility, I wish I had known about this when I was on the other side, because it would have shaped my expectations, but it also would have supported my emotions so much better and helped me, I think, not quite feel so badly when Darwin was born and to understand that I'm okay and he's okay and we're okay. Yeah. And it's just so common and it's such a difficult life transition. Yeah. So that of course you're going to have so many responses. And I think that this also is part of that bigger story we've been talking about of identifying what you expected and why, you know, what was your image of having a biological child and why, what was your image of being a mother and or father and why, like, what is your image of, of what Christmas is supposed to look like? And where did that come from? You know? So I feel like overall, if we could open the veil about all of this stuff and we could understand that, and this is, this really speaks to the heart of IVFU as a podcast is to understand that so much of this constructed stuff is not what's real. And if we knew that going into it, we might go to adoption faster. We might go to egg donor faster. We might decide much earlier in life to be child-free or we might, you know, we might still push ourselves to have a biological child, but not carry that weight of I'm failed and I'm broken. Once we find out that it's hugely common that these yeah. things happen. And, you know, there's such a spectrum of what families look like, what happiness looks like, what fulfillment looks like, what mm-hmm. being generative looks like. And if we knew that going in, <laughs> instead of these sort of rosy two kids, two parents and a dog in a car vision of the world, you know, which I think is probably uniquely American, but maybe it's everywhere. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our path to happiness would be a lot easier. Absolutely. In general. Uh, Yeah. And that's what you're doing. That's why it's so great that you're doing this and, and hearing from all these different voices and perspectives. Yeah. And and I think that idea of true, it's really just the awareness is so needed. Yes. The awareness. And what I love about what you've said today too, is we've talked a few times about identifying the source of the pain. Yeah. Either physically in our bodies, like you were saying, when you're being mindful, but also sort of mentally, like what myth are we applying to the world that we're not living up to? You know, where is the source of that pain? And in this question, you know, that myth of being a blissfully happy 
mother of young children or that myth of having a biological child and what that means or that myth of having children in your household when there aren't children in your household and you know it once we can kind of shatter those and and start to be living in the present a bit more it might make a lot of these stops on the journey more easier to swallow you know more yeah. peaceful yeah and not just more peaceful but also like we can like i said kind of reclaim parts of yourself because right when you just fall along with dominant culture and everything just sort of happens in this expected way then you're not ever challenged to really look at yourself and go but what is this you know who am i really and what what part of me is is not being really heard from. And when, and that's what the crisis moment is all about. Mm -hmm. It really is an opportunity. I'm sorry to say on some level to wake you up and take a look at what has been kind of hidden or suppressed, you know? Right. And not just that you'll still be miserable then. It's <laughs> still going to be miserable. I Thanks. promise you. We'll be here all week. <laughs> Stay tuned for season three, where we pick up the pieces. <laughs> um, but, but I think the idea is that to recognize and appreciate the happiness that's available now. Right. Yeah. That's great. And are there any other references or sources, resources? I mean, we talked about resolve.org, mm -hmm. of course, which is wonderful. Is there anything else? Tara Brock is good. Tara Brock. Okay. Yeah. Tarabrock.com. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. It's been a fantastic you're season. Welcome. I'm so happy you're here with us to round it out. How can people find you if they want to know more about you or if they want to reach out? for help. Yeah. SavannahSanfield.com and, or, or info at SavannahSanfield.com. And you can just email me anytime. That's fantastic. Happy to, always happy to answer questions and offer resources and make referrals. Wonderful. So, well, Savannah Sanfield, thank you so much for being part of this very special episode. Such an honor. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for Absolutely. doing this. Thank you for raising awareness. And yeah, hopefully yeah. some people out there. Okay. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for joining me on the couch today with therapist Savannah Sanfield. I hope her insights and guidance can help you get through this crazy process or offer clarity if you're out the other side reflecting back. It's been an amazing season with so many stories shared, laughs laughed, lessons learned, and hopes and dreams encouraged. I'm really glad you've been here to share it with me, and I hope you'll pass this on to anyone it might help. We're already at work on season three, so stay tuned. The IVFU podcast is produced by me, Sam Shaper, and Emmeline Summerton. Audio mastered by Logan Heftel. Thanks to Chris Benelli for the late night Pro Tools parties, George Strayton for marriage, and Gary Scott for greasing the wheels. IVFU is a production of Inside Voices Media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at IVFU Podcast. You can download our theme song, Freakin' Love, at IVFUPodcast.com. And we'd love for you to review us on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to anyone who might be helped by these conversations. You can also be a huge help by leaving us a tip of any size, whatever you can afford, on Venmo and PayPal.me at IVFU Podcast. Thank you. And thanks for listening. I'm happy we shared this time together because it's all about being a family. Family.